Why did Jesus have to die? We've been in this series called The Gospel for the last five weeks, and we've been circling around the good news of Jesus Christ and around the cross of Christ, looking at it from different angles. We've been letting it mesmerize us with its awesomeness. And if you've missed any of the messages in this series or the series in total, I want to encourage you to go to our app or our website and watch the series and catch up. Um, but today we're going to ask that question in the most blunt way possible. Why did Jesus have to die? Now, if you ask most Christians that question, they're going to say, well, he had to die to forgive my sins. But if you're a thinking person or if you're a spiritual explorer and you're, you're watching this message, the follow-up question always becomes, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just forgive us our sins like we do with each other? Um, the other night, I came home, and my son Chester was eating carrots, and I, I could tell my, my wife was tired trying to get him to eat these carrots. He's like any two-year-old. He hates carrots. And we're actually in therapy right now. I kid you not. I'm gonna, just eating therapy, trying to help him eat foods that, that he doesn't like. And so I, I power up. I put on my cape, and I want to rescue my wife, and I, I want to be the hero. And so I begin to, to threaten and, and to bribe him with, you know, McLarens and stuff just eat the carrots. And this took place for like 30 minutes. And finally, he ate the last of two little pieces of carrot. And uh, we all celebrated. And Emery was in her high chair. She celebrated. And, and I just forgave him. You know, I mean, he's a kid. He doesn't like carrots. I didn't either when I was two. I didn't go down the street and kill a puppy so I could forgive my son. I just forgave him. So why did Jesus have to die? Why did God believe it was necessary for Jesus to die in order to forgive our sins? That is the question that we're going to bring in this final week to the scriptures as we wrap up our series on the gospel. So let's pray. Let's jump in. Father, thank you for the revelation that is your library of books called the Bible. Uh, thank you for the Old Testament and the New Testament and how both of us point us to you. Uh, please help us see at a deeper level than we've ever seen before why Jesus had to die for us. And may our hearts be filled with gratitude, and may, may our response be following Jesus with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. In his name we pray, amen, amen. Okay, so we're going to begin the Old Testament, and we're going to end in the, the New Testament. I'm going to talk to you about the Day of Atonement. Um, the Day of Atonement, you can read about it in Leviticus 16. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to get into that text. You can read more about it in Leviticus 23 and Numbers. But it was this one special day every single year where the Israelites would take a Sabbath, they would stop working, that they would fast, they would pray, they would, they would remember their sins from the past year, their individual sins, their collective sins as the Hebrew people, as Israel, and they would confess these sins. And, and then the, the climactic moment of the day was when the high priest would go into the, the tabernacle and into the Holy of Holies. Um, this is before Israel conquered everybody in, in Israel and they had Jerusalem and a temple. They would bring this tabernacle with them wherever they went, but on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would would confess his sins and make offerings for his sins. And then before he would go into the Holy of Holies, this place where people could experience, well, actually only the priest could experience, the most pure presence of God possible, the priest would have two goats brought before him. It was a bad day to be a goat. Kind of like Thanksgiving is now for turkeys. Back then, you did not want to be a goat on the Day of Atonement. Two goats would be brought before the high priest, and he would, he would cast lots, think dice, and, and the most unlucky of the two goats would become the sacrificial goat, and the other goat would be the scapegoat. And, and then the, the high priest would kill the sacrificial goat, and then he would take the blood along with some incense and go into the Holy of Holies, and he would transfer the guilt of Israel on that goat and, and substitute for the sins of Israel 
God would declare the Israelites righteous and just before him for another year. Okay, so we may look back at this and go, gosh, um, that seems really archaic and barbaric. Why in the world would they have to do that? I'm so glad that we don't do that anymore, killing animals and stuff to forgive sins and to appease God. Well, there were some things that Henry the Hebrew and Henrietta the Hebrew would have understood because of their particular cultural moment that we, Denver Dance and Denver Debbies, don't understand today. So I want to share with you four of those things. Um, and, and realize every, every period of history has its worldview, its, its dominant way of thinking, its filters that are culturally, socially conditioned. So today we are post-enlightenment, post-modern, post-Christian, very secularized people. Even those of us who follow Jesus every single day we are influenced by the worldview that prevails in this particular time in history. And because we're limited and we can't see things that other people and more traditional societies can see, there's things that we just don't see the way other people have seen and still do today. So the Israelites, would have, they would have had a deeper understanding than we do about the nature of sin. They would have believed that sin creates death. Every single year, when they would watch that sacrificial goat die, they would be reminded that sin creates death. Death separates us. Sin creates emotional death and intellectual death and relational death, and ultimately it creates physical death. So they understood this far better than we do. We think, ah, sin, that's just, you know, eating too much chocolate when you're on a diet, whatever. No, they understood that sin always creates death. Uh, number two, they understood God's holiness, I believe, you can, you can differ with me, better than we do. You know, in, in our culture, we kind of see God as our buddy, and, and, and we pray when we're in trouble, and we're trying to get through COVID, and, you know, faith over fear, and all that kind of stuff, and, 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 we, and we want God to help us flourish, and nothing wrong with that, but often our idea of flourishment is very different than God's. We want to have God help us live our version of the American or, or Denver dream, and, and, and so we, we sort of see God as our buddy versus this awesome creative force in the universe that is just infinitely holy. That's why when people get in the presence of God or angels get in the presence of God, they just say over and over again, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty. A lot of the, the neighboring tribes and, and, and people groups 3,000 years ago around Israel, they believed that God was the sun. Now the Israelites didn't, they believed God was Yahweh and that he was outside of his creation, even though he did make everything. But they understood that God was like the sun, even though he was not the sun. And, and they understood, like we do, that the sun creates life. I'm looking at windows right now. I, see, I can see because of the sun. Uh, we, we have agrarian seasons, and we get to eat because of the sun. The sun creates photosynthesis. The sun keeps us warm at just the right temperature. If the sun went out, we would all freeze in nanoseconds. The sun is absolutely necessary for life. But if you get too close to the sun... Not only do you get a sunburn as you get closer, but eventually the sun would just completely incinerate you. And that's how the Israelites saw God. They, they believed that God is so holy that if you got too close to him, that he would literally burn you up with the presence of his holiness. And they watched this happen with the high priest, by the way. As, as the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, they, they would watch him go in and they'd be like trembling in fear, wondering to themselves if he's going to get out alive. That's how seriously they took God's holiness. Um, they also 
understood at a deeper level than we typically do their own passion for justice and also God's passion for justice. Now, as a society, we're kind of getting in touch with that right now because of the election and because of you know, Black Lives Matter and because of all the things that are going on in the world and because of our access to so much news and video footage that we didn't have in the past, um, our, our, our desire for justice is becoming more aroused, but we're still not even close to having the kind of passion for justice that God has. So if you want to get in touch with your more godlike passion for justice, watch a Liam Neeson movie. They're all the same anyway. Um, he's either going to be on a plane or a train or in the future he's going to go to a puppy mill or a nursery supply store. And, and the story is always the same. Someone dies. It's, it's a group of people. It's a person or one of his kids gets kidnapped. And as soon as that happens, you want Liam Neeson to track down the bad guy or the bad guys and kill them. You know you do. It arouses this fury in you at injustice and you want him to go kill these guys. That's the kind of justice, passion for justice that God has. He gets so angry at, at what our sin does to us and to each other and, and to our world. So they had a deep passion for justice because they understood God's passion for justice. And then finally, um, they realized something we don't and that is that sin creates a debt. They realized someone's got to pay for the, the sins of people. We either got to pay for our own sins or in the case of the Day of Atonement, the sacrificial goat's got to die. The sacrificial goat's got to pay. They placed the sins of the people on the goat and the goat died in their place. We don't understand just the kind of debt that sin creates. That's why we say, well, you know, I just forgive people. Well, actually you don't. Anytime you forgive somebody, you're, you're paying down a debt, or they are, maybe emotional, maybe relational, might be financial, but there's always a debt to pay. So try this illustration on and see if it works for you. Um, let's say you're a 35-year-old guy, and uh, you were in a fraternity when you were you know, 18 to 20 or so, and, uh, and, and now you're going to have all your fraternity brothers over for a party, so you invite them all over, and, and your wife's going out with the girls, and, and, and you're in the backyard, and you're flipping burgers, okay? And as you do so, you hear this, this crash this, this noise of things breaking in your house. And so you, you go with your little Chef Boyardee kind of bib on, you go inside and, and you see the chandeliers missing from the ceiling because one of your fraternity brothers drank a few too many and he jumped up there in his whitey tidies and got crazy like he was 19 years old again and he broke the chandelier and now he's on the ground. And there's broken light bulbs and there's broken crystal and there's wires everywhere and there's this bent structure and, and you're furious at him because he broke your chandelier, and you're like, when my wife gets home, man, there's going to be some you-know-what-to-pay. And so you're mad at him. He's like, dude, you're not 19 anymore. What do you think? What are you doing? And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I got out of control, and I, you know, I started acting like we used to always act. And, and, and so you forgive him. He, after he says, I'm sorry, for like 10 times, you go, all right, I, I forgive you. Okay, just let it go. But somebody's still got to pay for the chandelier. And you know you better figure this out before your wife gets home. So who's going to pay? You or him or both of you? They understood something we don't understand very well, and that is that sin always creates a debt. And so when that sacrificial goat was killed, the people of Israel were like, glad it's him and not me because someone had to pay for my sins this year. Okay, um, that's the sacrificial goat. Remember, there's two goats, and, and the high priest cast lots, and, and so after the sacrificial goat is, is killed, some blood's brought into the Holy of Holies, along with some incense. This offering is made. God forgives the, the, the sin of the Israelites and doesn't make them pay for their sin. But then there's another goat, and that goat was called the scapegoat. 
And again, the high priest would put his hands on the scapegoat and he would transfer the sins of Israel onto that scapegoat. And then somebody, some goat herder guy, would take it out into the wilderness really far away, turn it loose. And if you're Henry the Hebrew or Henrietta the Hebrew, uh, what you're thinking to yourself is, once again, I I not only don't have to pay for my my sins, this goat died instead of me, but my guilt, my my guilt and my shame for what I've done this whole year is now being removed. That that tweet that I, I, I... put out there about Jerry Falwell Jr., that tweet about Tiger King, um, you know, all the poor people that I could have helped this year, I just ignore them. The, the, the times I could have given to the high priest that could teach the, the Torah, uh, the, the people I, the, the woman I lusted for, the guy I lusted for who's my neighbor's husband or wife, all, all these sins that created so much guilt, all of a sudden, whew, my guilt is gone for another year. And you would be so glad that scapegoat took away your sin. And so for a day, you would feel so good, wouldn't you? You don't have to pay for your, your sin debt, your, your guilt, your shame is taken away, you're right with God, you're, you're at one. Again, you're atoned. You're at one with God, you're at one with others, you're at one with yourself. Life is good. Fast is over, let's go feast. And this would feel great for about a day. And then the next day, it would all just start all over again. Henry the Hebrew, Henrietta the Hebrew, they would start thinking prideful thoughts. They might give a discount in the marketplace, but it wasn't really an altruistic act. It was more about getting the customer to come back and tell the people about them. And, and then they might go back to those lustful fantasies about their neighbor's husband or wife and, and, and ignore the poor again. Someone's crying on the street. You just go, like, I don't have time. Or, you know, they, they would just go back to their sin once again, and they begin to feel the weight of that sin before a holy God. Here we go again. Um, I got a friend named Matt Crow, and uh, we, we were talking the other day, and he's helping me out with the high school ministry here at Restoration, and, and uh, he said, man, I finally read through the Bible this year. I read through it in seven months. He's kind of an overachiever, and, and he said to me, he goes, man, I, I, I got to the end of the Old Testament, to Malachi, and I thought to myself, this sucks. Like, all these goats, all this blood, all these sacrifices, all this judgment, this sucks. And then I got into the New Testament, the Gospels, the good news of Jesus, and I found myself just thanking God for Jesus. And he had this big smile on his face. So let's, let's leave behind the Old Testament, all the blood and goats and sacrifices, day of atonement for a little bit. And, and let's, let's go to the New Testament and, and let's look at how Jesus became the fulfillment of the day of atonement. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Uh, on the cross, Jesus became the final atonement, the final day of atonement. When at the end of his life, he yelled out, it is finished. He meant so many things, but he certainly meant the day of atonement is no longer needed. Our sins have been atoned for because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And all we have to do now is receive it by faith as a gift. Now, I want to unpack this a little more. Um, if you will, please nerd out with me just for a few minutes. Let's be Bible nerds. And I want to share with you a couple of words that we never use in our culture, but that theologians use as they try to understand what Jesus did in atoning for our sins on the cross. Word number one is propitiation. 
propitiation. Look it up, but it means to appease. It, it means to uh, win or restore the goodwill of somebody. Uh, it means to satisfy. That's, that might be the best way to understand propitiation. It means to satisfy, particularly to satisfy one's desire for justice. And so the sacrificial goat represents God's desire to propitiate his anger over the injustice caused by our sins in the world, our, our personal sins as well as our collective sins as a church, as a family, as a business, as a, as a country. See, God sees us not just as individuals, but as a, as a we, not just a me. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he propitiated God's desire to be just. So imagine being God. And uh, I don't know how this went down, okay? So I, I'm sure I'm grossly oversimplifying this. And uh, this is my irreverent understanding of maybe what happened. But you're, you're having a little conversation with Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God, and, and you're talking together about the Day of Atonement, and you're kind of tired of it. <laughs> it's been going on a long time, and you're like, okay, we, we know how this works. Every year they do the Day of Atonement, and they kill the goat, and they sacrifice the goat, and the scapegoat goes away, and then it all starts all over again. We, we've got to come up with a better plan here, and so they hatch a plan. And we actually are privy to this conversation that took place, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, this is what happens. This is what was said. It says, therefore, when Christ came into the world as the God-man, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. We're just tired of this whole sacrificial system thing. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. What took place in the Holy of Holies every single year, not, it's not working anymore. You were not pleased. Then I said, Jesus said, here I am. Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus and his Father in the presence of the Holy Spirit had this conversation. Jesus said, you know what? You prepare a body for me. I'm going to go in. I'm going in. I'm going to be the God-man. I'm going to be the final atoning sacrifice, not just for the Hebrew people, but for all people for all of time. That's some good news, isn't it? Now, I want to make sure that this is uh, not confusing because if you think deep about this, it could be misunderstood in a number of ways. And I want to deal with this misunderstandings and we'll come back to the primary truth that the atoning work of of Jesus' sacrifice um, is meant to give us today. But but first of all, you have to understand this was not an episode of divine child abuse. It wasn't God the Father saying, Jesus, you're going to go in and I'm going to kill you. This was a mutually agreed upon decision between the Father and the Son and the presence of the Holy Spirit for Jesus, who was God, to take on human flesh and be fully human and fully God and go to the cross to be the final sacrifice, atoning for our sins. Um, This is also not an episode of redemptive violence. Uh, Sadly, people who've called themselves Christians throughout the last 2,000 years have used the cross as a way of of, um, justifying their violent acts. We've seen this in the Inquisitions, the the Crusades, the the witch hunts, people using the cross to justify violence and the killing of other people. What was taking place on the cross was not an act of redemptive violence. It was an act of redemptive, sacrificial love. The Father and the Son and the Spirit together decided that in the God-man Jesus Christ, they would collectively sacrifice 
themselves for all of the human beings who've ever lived for all of time. Um, and then finally, a, a bit of a confusion that some people get sometimes about the atoning work of Jesus is they're like, well, did God die on the cross? And the answer is no. God did not die on the cross. Jesus, the human, died on the cross. God is eternal. He, he could never die. But Jesus, and this is an act of tremendous creativity, he became fully God and fully man. It was Jesus, the human, on the cross that died. Uh, a theologian in the Middle Ages named Anselm wrote a book, Why the God-Man? It's one of the classics in theology of all time. You can read at a more in-depth level why Jesus became a man so that he could sacrifice himself out of love, out of redemptive love, so our sins could be forgiven. And here's the bottom line. The, the reason Je- Jesus was that final sacrifice, the, the, the uh, culmination of all those sacrificial goats that were killed for 2,000 years was this. Jesus went to the cross to satisfy God's desire to be both just and merciful at the same time. God had to find some way to be true to himself, to live in integrity with himself. God is fully just and he's fully merciful. And so Jesus went to the cross to satisfy God's desire, his own desire, to be just and merciful at the same time. So that's all about propitiation. Thank you for nerding out with me. I got one more word for us to nerd out over just for a few moments. Um, It's expiation. So the sacrificial goat represents God's need to propitiate his desire to be just. Um, The scapegoat represents God's desire to expiate his desire to remove our guilt from us and to be merciful. So I don't know if you exfoliate or not. Uh, guys, if you're not exfoliating, I highly recommend this. The ladies have been holding this back from us. It's like some secret among women, but I've begun to exfoliate. I, I've got a brush, and now before I get in the shower, I, I, I wipe off all the dead skin, skin cells off my body. I know it's TMI, but I do that, and I get in the shower, and that's why my skin is glowing before you today. Guys, you've got to try this. It's awesome. It makes you feel so good. When you're exfoliating, you're getting rid of dead skin cells. Skin, you know what I'm saying. Skin cells. When, when you are expiating, you're getting rid of your guilt. So just as the scapegoat removed the guilt that came from the sins of Israel, so Jesus Christ on the cross, he expiated our guilt and our shame. And so now as we stand before a holy God, we are guiltless. We are shameless. The best verse I know of in the Bible that captures what Jesus did for us on the cross in light of his expiatory work is this. Romans 8.1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None. No more guilt. No more shame. Jesus was the final scapegoat that took away our guilt and our shame on the cross. And he nailed it there. Now, I don't know about you, but every single day, I feel some guilt and some shame. In fact, here's a, Here's what Christians often don't tell each other. The closer you get to God and the more you understand his holiness, the more you realize how you are guilty, how, how you have many things to be ashamed of. You, you, you go from those like behavioral sins that you used to do when you were younger, but as you grow, grow more and more, you, you might every once in a while you snap at somebody, you get angry, you say something or tweet something you shouldn't, you shouldn't say or tweet, but in your heart, you become more and more aware that your motives are so tainted by pride and cowardice and, and self-glory. And so I find myself more than ever confessing my sins, but mainly the sins of my heart. And every time I do that, I feel guilty for a little bit. I feel shame. But then I have to remind myself of what Jesus did for 
me and what he did for all of us on the cross. He took away our shame. He took away our guilt. And now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, let's tie this together. Um, we have cause to celebrate. And this is why. What we learn from Jesus on the cross is this. He was God's final atonement. He went to the cross to satisfy God's desire to be both just and merciful and to satisfy our desire to receive God's mercy when we deserve God's justice. I don't know about you, but I believe that is phenomenal news. That is the best news human beings could ever possibly hear or receive. God has satisfied his desire to be just and merciful. And now we don't have to worry about God's justice because what Jesus has done for us, all that is left is God's grace and his love and his mercy for us. So let's end this message and let's end this series with one final question. How do we live? How should we then live in light of God's good news and what Christ has done for us? Well, if you know me, you know I like stories. I want to end with a story of a man named Father Maximilian Kolbe. Uh, I believe we have a picture of this guy. That's him. Well, uh, Maximilian Kolbe, he, he lived during World War II, and uh, he had a monastery in Nagasaki and uh, was transferred before the bomb dropped on Nagasaki back to Europe where he tried to save 2,000 Jewish people. He hid them and tried to protect them from death. And then he was caught and they were caught and they were all brought to Auschwitz. And uh, at some point in time, there were several Jews who tried to escape from Auschwitz. Um, He was not one of them, but he was brought into this, this gathering and these guards said, because you guys tried to escape, 10 of you are going to starve to death. And so they chose 10 Jewish prisoners. And this one man began to cry out, I have a wife and kids. I've got a wife and kids. I can't die. And he was crying and begging and pleading to be spared. And so Father Maximum Kolbe, he decided to take this man's place and he volunteered and the man was set free. And then he and these other nine prisoners, they were sent into a cell and they all died of starvation and dehydration. But on the 10th day, the only one who was still alive was Father Kolbe. And so as the guards came in with a lethal injection, he voluntarily raised his arm and they injected him and he died. Well, imagine being the Jewish man who was spared death because Father Kolbe was his substitute. I mean, just imagine for a moment what it was like to be him. And we don't know all of his story, but let's, let's assume he was able to eventually be reunited to his family and to his, with his kids. If you were him, if I was him, um, I know we would feel this, this debt. Not, not a debt of obligation, but a debt of gratitude. Uh, we would want to live our lives differently in light of what he had done for us. Uh, we would certainly want to love well our, our wife and our kids, but I, I believe we would want to to love well all of humanity. We would be searching every single day for ways to bless and express gratitude on behalf of what a man did for us in giving his life for ours. Well, that's us. Jesus Christ has given his life for us. What do we do in response? I believe if Jesus 
was asked that question, he would answer it today just like he did 2,000 years ago again and again. When people realized he was the Messiah, he was the Savior of the world, the final atoning sacrifice, and they were like, what do I do? Jesus would say, not only receive my gift in faith, my gift of salvation, but now come follow me. Come follow me. How do we do that? I want to share with you a brief practice, and we'll wrap this up. Um, read the biographies of Jesus, the Gospels that we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Read the Gospels of Jesus and realize there are biographies. Um, biographies are meant to teach us what to do if we want to be like someone and what to not do if we don't want to be like somebody. But in the case of Jesus, they teach us how to live his narrow way. Jesus says, there's many ways you can live your life, but I'm the way and the truth and the life. And I'm the narrow gate and the narrow way that leads to life, not only eternal life, but life right now. Come, follow me. As we follow Jesus, what we ask every single day is we ask this question. Moment by moment, we ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? Now, it's not the same as the bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Because candidly, we can't do what Jesus would do. We, we can't walk on water. We can't feed 5,000 people with a boy's backpack. Uh, we can't rise from the dead, okay? We, we also don't have his level of spiritual formation and character maturity. There's just things he could do because of his maturity that we can't do yet because we're not spiritually formed at that level. But we can ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? What would he do... Uh, as a 57-year-old, bald, skinny guy with bad knees who's got adult children and two kids, one in diapers and one who's being potty trained and doesn't like carrots, what would he do if he found the woman of his dreams and he wants to love her every single day? What would he do if he was the pastor of, of Restoration Church? What would he do to make disciples? What would he do if he had my, my temperament, my very type A temperament? How would he manage his anger if he was me? How would he manage his time? Um, what would he do in the morning? What would his morning routine be like? And, and how would he manage his money? How much would he keep? How much would he save? How much would he give away? How much would he give to his kids for college? These are the kind of questions that we all need to ask every single day. What would Jesus do if he were me, given my education and my friends and my singleness or my marriedness or my amount of money? What, what would he do if he were me with his time, his treasure, and talents? If we will ask that question, we will find ourselves following him and his narrow way that leads to life, our best life now and our best life forever. So restoration, let's make that our practice this week. Out of gratitude and awe, out of a desire to honor the one who died for us on the cross, to satisfy God's justice and his desire to be merciful, out of a way of honoring the one who gave us mercy instead of God's justice, who said now that he's gone to the cross, mercy has triumphed over judgment in honor of him, out of a heart that wants to express our gratitude and our worship towards him, let's ask the question as we follow him every single day this week, what would Jesus do if he were me? Let's pray. Jesus, we have this huge debt. We know that, that because of your sacrifice on the cross, because of your atoning work on the cross, we, we can't atone for ourselves. We can't earn your salvation. All we can do is receive it in faith. And yet, like many gifts, it, it puts this debt on us, but not a debt of obligation, a debt of love. And so I pray for all of us, myself included, followers of Jesus, Christians and non-Christians alike, that this week, as we ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? That it would express to you our tremendous gratitude and awe for what you've done for us through your final work on the cross. In your name and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, thanks so much for listening. Um, got a few things I want to share with you before we end. First of all, if you've never received this gift by faith, 
if you've never received Jesus' atoning work on your behalf, making you right with God so you can receive not God's justice that you deserve, but God's mercy, and you want to receive it right now, just pray this one-sentence prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my life for yours. Amen. Give him your life for his. That's the best gift you can give him. And from this day forward, follow him and ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? And you might be asking right now, okay, I'm in. I prayed that prayer. Now what do I do? The first thing Jesus tells you to do, Matthew 28, 19, is to go get baptized. There's something about baptism that, that strengthens the reality of these internal decisions we make with this external ritual of getting baptized. It will strengthen your level of conviction. It will strengthen your level of gratitude. It will deepen your assurance of salvation. Go right now to our website, go to our app, and sign up for our next baptism. We'll get in touch with you soon. Um, also, two more things just briefly. Uh, we are beginning a new series of messages next week. It's titled Wealth Manager. There are 2,300 verses in the Bible about money. We're going to learn from God how he can be our wealth manager. So be sure and come back next week for that series. Let's learn how to manage our money in God's way and realize he wants us to prosper. Not some kind of prosperity gospel. He wants us to prosper. And so we're gonna learn from him next few weeks. And then finally, um, speaking of money, uh, this is the time when typically we'd have our offering. And so I wanna thank all those of you who've been giving so generously to our church. But I also wanna challenge those of you who call our church your church and you've been benefiting from the series and the content and our simple churches. Uh, please become a giver. Please go from being a taker to a giver. And you can do that right now by going to our app or website and setting up some kind of automatic offering every single week or every single month. Um, In so doing, you're going to help us make disciples who make disciples for generations to come. You're going to help us plant churches that plant churches in our city, in our country, and our world. Okay, love you guys so much. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.